Well, uh, we are thankful not only for the, I, you know what, I changed my message up, guys. My, I got up, I, I woke up around five this morning, a little bit before five. First time I got up was, you know, five, and I went to pray, and I knew the Lord had me up, you know, and I was working on the finishing, fun, finishing touches on my message for Sunday, but I kept praying, and then it was just on my heart. It's, it's like, you know what, I don't do a memorial message every memorial weekend, once in a while, though, I thought, you know, I need to do this because I want to talk about the most important thing to remember. But you know what? I thought this is a good weekend to do that because I'm, how many of you are thankful for the doctors and the nurses? Keep in mind, they didn't know how deadly this thing was, right? And there are, there are people in professional service throughout this time that did die and contracted it from other people. And a lot of these folks were risking their lives thinking they could very well die. You know that, right, early on? And even later, it's still, you know, something. And you say, well, if you're older, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're more at risk. But guess what? People that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 20s even can still die, right? So complications, underlying issues, and what have you. And, whether, and it's people that's in the police force, you know, or law enforcement, or whether it's in a you know, uh, firemen, you know, grateful for all you guys out there that have that just been doing the work, you know, and uh, so, and there's a lot of people that are considered essential, and they, they like, is my job really essential, and they have to work, you know, so, and I, and I feel sorry for everybody, people that lost jobs, businesses through this, you know, so keep everybody in prayer, and, and be thankful, and I'm very thankful my daughter Heather just, you know, became a nurse, you know, just a couple weeks ago, you know, and uh, and so we're thankful for that, but it's like, wow, things get crazier and communic or, you know, infectious diseases spread and so forth. I'm thinking, man, that's going to be a pretty hairy job for a lot of people, perhaps. And the scriptures talk about the rise of pestilences in the end times. So that's a concern. Whether they come out of a lab or from a wet market or wherever, there's going to be all kinds of strange things when you read the book Revelation. And one thing I pointed out, I said, this is not the mark of the beast. People, a lot of people are like, the churches are shut down forever now. Christians will never be able to meet again. This is the mark of the beast, and it's only get worse from here. And I warned for the first or second message I gave, I was like, no, you know, the temple hasn't been rebuilt, you know. Uh, the Antichrist isn't reigning yet, you know. The mark of the beast is given in conjunction with, in, uh, in order to worship the Antichrist, you know. And there's a lot of other things that go into that. But you know what? At the same time, you need to keep your, your eyes peeled, okay, because there were a lot of people that ride, rode the crest of this pandemic, so-called, uh, to gain the levers of more and more power over people. And there's a lot of people out there that are power junkies, a lot of governors that got power over people and they just loved it, you know, and don't want to give it up to this day, you know? So, but it's going to coalesce into a new world order. Eventually the scriptures are very clear about that, but let's not call it something it is before it isn't. Amen. This, these, these things all head in that direction ultimately because of the principalities and powers, the spiritual fo dark forces that are at work. But uh, we need to know what's going on. And I wanted to talk about, we're in trouble as a nation. Our nation is in huge trouble. This, this uh, so-called pandemic spread in the same month, you know, uh, that our country announced that we're having a world or a peace plan with Israel that's going to divide up their land. And I gave a message on that. Remember that? I gave a message. I go, this is not, this is not good, guys, you know, and... Uh, I'm not saying it was because of that. I just think it's interesting because you listen to my messages, you know, uh, don't mess with the weatherman. 
And I gave like three plus messages on, look what the scriptures say. Point out some scriptures I haven't seen even pointed out where it says, those who mess with my country, basically Israel, I'll chase them with my storms. I said, look at every time these things in our country have come against Israel, radical things have happened. And uncanny. I mean, it's just like, can't be a coincidence. It was, it was so often. So I'd been warning about that. So I just think this was a very, very interesting timing though. And uh, things are getting worse and worse in our country. It was said years and years ago by a famous evangelist, if God doesn't judge San Francisco, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And, uh, you know, and I'm, God never has to apologize because God never makes a mistake. But I understand his point, you know? And it's interesting because God, God's word warns, and that was years ago, way before San Francisco was saying it's okay to defecate on the streets and it's okay to rip people off, you know, uh, as long as you don't, only steal a few hundred dollars worth of merchandise, can't even... Can't even bust them, you know? Can't even put them in jail. Just go in your store and take things. And, and the Bible warns that, the, you know, uh, of those who put to death, those who should be kept alive, like babies. And those who keep alive, those who should be put to death, like serial murderers, you know? Our country is all backwards, you know? It's, it's really, really sad. Psalm 1917 says this, brothers and sisters, the wicked will return to Sheol, or Hades. Even the nations who forget God. Catch that? The wicked shall be turned to Sheol, Hades. It's a place where the rich man went and was in torment in the flame and wanted a drop of water for his tongue. And it said, he goes on to say, even the nations who forget God. Our nation has quickly forgot God. Well, Joe, you just said, you just quoted the President of the United States saying, you know, people need to pray more and stuff like that. Is that a popular sentiment in the media? <laughs> and with a lot of other people in authority? No. <laughs> that's rare to hear things like that. And I'm thankful for that. There's always been a war, even from the beginning of this country. There were some people say, oh, we're a Christian country. We're founded on Christian principles. Others say, no, we're founded by deists. Others say, no, we're founded by, founded by Masons. Actually, we're founded by all three. We're not, you look at our documents, it doesn't say we're founded on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's word in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. Okay, although there's a lot of principles there. There was a mixed bag with our leaders, but guess what? Christian principles were held in high esteem and prevailed, though. And we've fallen very far from them. Abraham Lincoln warned, because we're talking about, you know, Memorial Day, memorial, remembering, amen? He talked about forgetting God. And Abraham Lincoln, in his proclamation for a national day of prayer and fasting, he's making a proclamation for a national day of prayer and fasting, like, let's have one, right? And uh, this was uh, humiliation and prayer, April 30th, 1863, 100 years before I was born. He stated, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. Wow. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. Woo, that's a long time ago. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Wow, that sounds a lot like what God warned Israel not to do when he established them as a nation. Intoxicated, Lincoln says, with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and 
persevering grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Those are pretty powerful words, amen? Would that they would be appreciated and actually followed by the people of this nation. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, of the 56 signers, 27, that's roughly half, 27 of them had degrees from seminaries. Isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were responsible for 121 Bible societies in just eight years' time. They want to get the Word of God out. So many of them, right? A Reverend John Witherspoon oversaw the printing of the Bible of Congress in 1972. John Adams, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, of course, uh, or I'm sorry, the peace treaty with England, wrote a letter in 1813 in which he said this, the principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the principles of Christianity. I will now avow that I did believe and now believe that those principles of Christianity are as essential and immutable as the general attributes and characteristics of God. Okay? Kind of interesting how a lot of these guys looked at things. Abe Lincoln said, the danger wasn't going to be from without foreign countries that would really destroy this nation in the end, but from within. And he says, from whence shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall some transatlantic militia, military giant, step up and, uh, in the earth and crush us at a blow? Never. Interesting. All the armies of Europe and Asia could not by force take a drink from the Ohio River or make a track on the Blue Ridge in, that of, in a trial of a thousand years. No, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we will live forever or die by suicide. Wow. That's pretty radical. Now, uh, our nation is largely forgotten God. And when we think about it, when the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God, we're in serious trouble because our nation had a strong start with a lot of God-fearing people, okay? Not perfect, okay? There are also occult powers at work as well, and there's always been this war, and that's still happening today. There's godly Men and women who are standing up for truth and righteousness and for life and, and what God teaches about marriage and everything else. And then there's those who would just want a socialist utopia, some that would want everybody dead that disagrees with them. Well, it's interesting. Uh, when God brought his people out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, he warned them that they better not forget him, that they better remember him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns or wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you did eat and, and, are, and, and you do eat and are satisfied. Because remember, he was running the Canaanites out because the Canaanites were sacrificing their children in the fire to demon gods. 
They were incestuous. They were having sex with animals. They were doing all kinds of wicked things. Uh, he says, they're going to get those things. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the wealth of the wicked is, is, is stored up for the righteous. In this case, God said, hey, this is my land. I'm, I'm the landlord. And these wicked are, are just doing, dis, doing disgusting things, and I'm going to put them out of my land. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt. Did you catch that? He warns them. Don't. He said, watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you've been brought out of spiritual Egypt. Amen. You've been redeemed from not slavery to Pharaoh, but to a worse master, Satan himself. We're, we're, we were followers of the prince of the power of the air who works with the children of disobedience. We're enslaved to sin and unrighteousness. Amen. And then when the gospel came to us, we were set free from sin. We're set free from the power of darkness, amen? And the Lord set us free. The Son sets you free, Jesus said, you will be free indeed, amen? You'll, I'm, I, he said, uh, you will know the truth, the truth will make you free. We've been set free, amen? We need to make sure we don't go back to Egypt in our minds. We need to make sure that we don't forget what the Lord has done in delivering us, amen? Well, that's what they were going, he's warning them against doing that. I mean, they had incredible gifts. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 plus years, guys. That's a long time. Now they're in the land of milk and honey, fruits and vegetables, vineyards, you know, that they didn't plant, houses that they didn't build, wells that they didn't dig. And they're, they're, they're just, wow, look how beautiful this is. And they're worshiping God. They're thankful when they first get in the land, you know. Praise God. And guess what? They start to forget God. Forget his word. And begin to do the same detestable things that the nations before them that were jettisoned from the land were doing. The Bible warns if we forget after we have escaped the corruptions of this world, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, through knowing epinosis, experiential knowledge, knowing, actually knowing a relationship with Jesus after knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and are again entangled therein, the old, the old life, slavery to sin again. The latter end is worse than the beginning. It'd be better of us not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then go back to a backslidden state be better if you're never saved in the first place. That's not once saved, always saved. Okay, if once saved, always saved was true, it would say, well, it's still better than when you were lost. No, it says it's worse than when you were lost. Read 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. Don't go back to spiritual Egypt, amen? Don't you forget God. Don't you forget what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, amen? So, this is interesting because a lot of civilizations last, but just, you know, people groups a couple hundred years. We've outlasted that a little bit, but we've already taken this great power. And the Lord says in verse 7, and this is, uh, that first passage was Deuteronomy 6, but now Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 says, or verse 7 says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances, and his statutes, which I command you today. Wow. He says, don't say that it's by my power and strength and my hands that I've gained this wealth. No, he's giving you this land. And that's interesting because Abe Lincoln, millennia later, right, millenniums later, was echoing that saying, don't say it's by our own ingenuity. Be thankful to God. Remember him, amen. Don't forget God. And that's exactly what Israel forgot, and they were punished for it. And that's exactly what, well, guess what? That's exactly what has happened to us as a country. And when you think of what our country stands for, it's, it's very sad. 
in Jeremiah chapter 18, it's not just applied these punishments and, you know, to Israel, God had already dealt with the other nations before Israel. He deals with nations this way. And he warns, he brings Jeremiah to the potter's house, remember? And Jeremiah, Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, that's Italian Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah is watching the potter and he's forming a, some clay. And if the clay becomes wicked in the potter's hands, you know, and it's a picture, obviously clay doesn't become wicked, but this is a picture of clay with free will, you know? In the potter's hands, it becomes, he's planning to bless it. He's going to make a, a wonderful vessel, but it becomes, you know, injurious in his hands. Then he'll form it for destruction. If he's forming, he'll make it a, he'll make it a vessel that's used for a totally different purpose. If he's forming a vessel for an ignoble purpose, right? And he can think, well, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this, and guess what? He goes to apply that to the nations. If I'm going to do this with the nation and bless it, and it becomes wicked, then I'll do this with it. If I'm going to judge a nation, right, and they repent, then I'm going to do this and bless it. So he says, at one moment I might speak concerning a nation, of, concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I'll relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. He's bringing the application of the potter and the clay in Jeremiah 18 to Jeremiah's understanding that he's dealing with nations here. I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up and the planet. But if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think the better of the good which I had promised to bless it. Wow. Is God changing his mind? No. God simply says, hey, if you do this, I'll do this. But if you do that, then I'll do that. He's consistent with what he said. You just have to respond to him in righteousness. But our nation, brothers and sisters, we're in, we're in big trouble. We should be groaning before God for our nation as, brother, as Christians, amen? That's, it should be our heart's cry, crying out to God daily, Lord, bring this nation to repentance. Bring the world to repentance because our lives are vapors. And we're only here for a short time. We want to bring as many people with us as possible. It's important to know how bad off you know, we, we are. Uh, it's interesting because Romans chapter 1, when you look at the history of civilizations, it talks about how God gave the antediluvian people, those before the flood, over to depraved minds. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It said they, didn't re they weren't thankful in their hearts toward God. Ezekiel talks about how they became idle and proud and they became lazy. They were very rich. I mean, remember... Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, you had Abraham and Lot, and they were going so big, they had to divide up their, their entourages, right? And Abraham, being the gracious man that he was, let Lot pick, and Lot saw that near Sodom, he pitched his tent near Sodom because it was very lush and beautiful. It's fertile. God blessed that land. Before you know it, he ends up in Sodom. And he was vexed, it says, by all the wickedness around him. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter two. He was there, but he was, he was, he was hurt over their wickedness. And they were given over to just all kinds of sin, you know. They didn't care for the poor, you know. As Christians, we ought to be caring for the poor, you know. And praise God, as a fellowship, we help the poor. We're, praise God, we're still planning on building uh, in Mexico this year too, even with the pandemic, if we can, you know. But individually, that needs to be in each of our hearts. We can't just go by, oh, our church is doing this, that needs to, we need to be that way personally before God, amen. 
They were given over to, remember, the homosexuality. They were trying to have sex with the angels who came in the appearance of men, but men were trying to have sex relations with them. And God brought punishment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. It went up in, in smoke, man. And it's given as an example. Jude chapter 1 says of those who would go after strange flesh. Serious stuff. And our nation, not too many years ago, Supreme Court decided to make, you know, same-sex marriage, you know. The Bible says, and it's sad because, but if we love those who are caught up in depravity, we'll warn them. It's not just homosexuality. It's also heterosexual perversion, right? Uh, adultery, you know, fornication, all those things, you know. So we have to make, you have to make sure if you're married, man, that you're faithful to your spouse. Amen? Because I'll tell you what, in Romans chapter 1, it says he gave them over to depraved minds. Speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah and those, those places. And Paul's warning in the book of Romans, which is very interesting because the Roman Empire, I mean, you had, you know who was emperor when Paul wrote most of his letters? Nero. And Nero was a wicked emperor. He would castrate young boys and make them his wives. Very, very perverse. It's interesting this is written in Romans. And we have to be careful because when you're at ease and you have affluence as a nation, God will take that affluence away to wake you up first. Because if you become a wicked and not just homosexual, but you become a wicked and adulterous nation, you're ripe for judgment. And affluence can breed carelessness, a lack of thankfulness. We do a lot of missions, a lot of places. I've been in a lot of countries. And a lot of times the people that are the poorest are the most thankful. That's why Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because the rich don't think they need God. They forget him pretty quick sometimes. Romans chapter, or Amos chapter 6. Listen to this. Begin at verse 1, then 4 through 7. Those at ease in Zion. Are you at ease right now? Those at ease in Zion, woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Things can be too easy. Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who Im improvise of the, on the sound of the harp, and, and as David had composed songs for themselves, they, who drink wine from the sacrificial bowls, while they anoint themselves with the finest oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They're not concerned about sin. They're not concerned about judgment. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the heads of the exiles, and sprawlers banqueting will pass away. So we have to watch out for this complacency about sin in our country and in our homes, in our churches, in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. Do not say in your heart, the Lord your God has driven them out before you. Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Don't ever think, man, you know what? God's just having favor on me because I'm just a good guy. No, it's always by his grace. Amen. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord has dispossessed them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
we have been saved by his righteousness, brothers and sisters. Okay? And even when we repent, if we've fallen into sin, it's still by his righteousness that we're forgiven. Amen? So we can take the credit for our sin, and we ought to. We need to repent of it. Amen? But our salvation, he gets full credit for. Amen? So where has our country gone wrong? Our country has gotten away from the word of God. Our country loves pleasures more than they love God. Do you know perhaps the capital, the drinking capital of the world is Washington, D.C., or at least of the nations? It's not just the capital of our country. It's the drinking capital. The politicians, they always, many of them, go out and get drunk together. And listen to what the Word of God says, Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. Okay? Well, you know what? Before I get into that, okay, I'm not going to quote that yet. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, not known for his strong Christianity or being, a, you know, or his, you know, piety. He said, I spent a number of years in India and Africa where I found much righteous endeavor undertaken by Christians of all denominations, but I never, as it happens, came across a hospital or an orphanage run by the Fabian Society. That's a socialistic, British socialistic organization back then, very popular among the socialist elite. Be a lot like the liberals today. They weren't the ones building the orphanages. They weren't the ones building the hospitals, you know, unless it would be for profit later. Or a humanist, he says, I've never saw a humanist leper colony. Christians were the ones that had set an, an incredible legacy, not just around the world, through self-sacrificial love by following Lord Jesus Christ. Stuff that never gets mentioned in the media, hardly ever, right? Millions and millions of Christians have sacrificed their lives on mission fields helping other people. And every time there's a national disaster, they'll show people there, up at these national disasters helping people, but guess who they usually are? Professing Christians. Isn't it interesting? Well... Did you know 106 of the first 108 colleges, 106 of the first 108 colleges in the United States uh, were started by those on the basis of their Christian faith? That is mind-boggling. By the close of 1860, there were 246 colleges in America. All but 17 were started by professing Christians. And guess what? The others were state-run uh, institutions, okay? I should say almost every other one was started by members of a Christian denomination. Only 17 were state-run institutions. Yale, Harvard, Princeton, the most prestigious today universities, and back then as well, were all started by professing Christians. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Harvard was named, the name was after a Christian minister, Okay? Uh, their original, listen to Harvard's original mission statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the end of his life and studies. Uh, and, and his studies is, is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the foundation as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Wow. That's amazing. The second rule, 
of Harvard was, and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, it's spelled wisedom there, W-I-S-E-D-O-M-E, uh, and seeing the Lord has only giveth wisdom, let every one seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs 2 and 3, to seek the wisdom from the Lord. That's Harvard. Yale was started by a minister. Princeton, the first, its first uh, year of class was taught by Reverend Jonathan Dickinson. Okay, just Reverend Jonathan Dixon, the first president of Princeton, wrote, Cursed be all, cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Wow. Now he's not against the three R's, right? But he's saying, man, you better make sure Christ is the focus. How the mighty have fallen. In Massachusetts, they had a law way back in 1647 before we became a nation, called the Old Deluder Satan Act. And it laid the basic for the public schools later here in America. And in 1642, Massachusetts held, required, in 1642 prior to that, they required parents to ensure their children uh, the ability to read. And then five years later, in an act of the state that was mediated or mandated by community schooling, the act required towns to support teachers of their children. In fact, it's interesting, I thought this was kind of interesting, that the, the old deluder Satan Act was put in act, quote, to keep men from the knowledge, because uh, Satan was, the old deluder Satan Act was to educate your children to keep Satan from doing what he wanted to do, which was, quote, to keep men from the knowledge of ye scriptures. That trip. So they understood that Satan was going to try to keep people from the word of God. So they wanted their kids to learn. So they bring them up in the fear of the Lord. And then you had all these universities popped up, which was about bringing people from the Lord. Well, you know what? It's interesting because uh, the law required that every town with 50 or more families to hire and maintain a teacher to instruct children in reading and writing. And towns at 100 or more families were required to support a grammar school to prepare students to attend Harvard College. Similar acts were adopted in New England, the New England colonies, all except for, uh, or except for Rhode Island. What happened? What happened? Well, listen to what the Word of God says. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up to themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, instead of teaching, because the design is evident from anybody who's honest and has eyes that only we can't create all this. It's not going to happen by accident. DNA and, you know, the, the, the written code, you know, that's in us. It's way beyond anything in computers. And you can't say a computer is going to happen by chance, right? So they jettisoned God, the creator, because they didn't want to be accountable to him because they, didn't, they were given over to depraved minds. They weren't thankful. They wanted to do their own thing. They rejected God's law. And now they... You know, the religion of many humanistic schools is Darwinism, you know. You know it's hard to teach. This is what the Word of God says. Some, thankfully, some teachers, I praise God for Christian teachers who are seeking to influence their children, that they're, that they're influencing in a godly manner by being godly examples, okay? By, by uh, when they have an opportunity to teach the, the truth of, of God's Word, 
in whatever way God may open that up to them. Praise God for them. Pray for them, amen. They're in a hostile land, amen. There are many godly teachers that fear and love God and we need to keep them in prayer, amen. But this is a trip because back in those days they were trying to keep Satan out of the schools. Now today it's like they're keeping God out of the schools. It's like the prodigal son, right? Living off his father's inheritance. These secular people that are running all these schools, they didn't build all this. They, they squandered the father's inheritance who isn't their father because those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and reject God, they're the father of the devil. But they took the inheritance that was brought by Christians, which was a godly heritage, and they twisted it and they're now using it to teach people that, you know what, nothing made everything. I have quote after quote after quote beginning with Richard Dawkins who said everything came out of nothing and he admits it's a preposterous idea. And he said he'd be mad to try to explain it. Yeah, of course you would because it doesn't make any sense. That's why the Bible says a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 14.34 says this, listen, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. If people live righteously, a nation will be exalted, but sin is a disgrace to any people, including our country. Abraham Lincoln warned, it is the duty of nations as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures. That's the Bible, folks. Not the Quran, not the Bhagavad Gita, okay? not, the, not the, uh, the, uh, you know, the book of Satan, not the book of the law. He said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Yahweh. Wow. And man, since Darwinism has become foundational, not for all, but for many secular schools, right? And it's taught as though it's science even though Darwinism is still a theory and more and more people are jettisoning the theory saying it doesn't work out, you know? Even though that's the case, what's happened since we've kicked God out of the school, since we've kicked prayer out of the school, since we don't dare have commandments from God on the wall anymore, what's happened? Well, Fullerton, I quoted this years ago, and it's even worse now, but Fullerton Police Department, in conjunction with the California uh, Fullerton School District, did a study contrasting what was going on in the 80s with what was going on in schools in the 40s. In the 1940s, the main problems were running the halls, tardiness, running, uh, missing the waste paper basket. Then in the 80s, it was assault with deadly weapons, drug use, rape, theft. And in some ways, it's worse now. America is a sick nation. Since 1960, and these numbers I'm sure have gone up since uh, then, then, but there's been a 560% increase in violent crime, more than 400% increase in illegitimate births, a quadrupling in divorces, a tripling of the percentage of children living in single parent homes, more than 200% increase in teenage suicide rate. Suicide's been up, by the way, last couple last year or so as well. And I don't know how bad it's gotten worse in, uh, since COVID-19, I believe as well. I'd have to go look at the stats, but the recent stats I saw a couple weeks ago looked pretty grim. A drop of 75 points in the average SAT scores of high school students. I don't think that was, that's probably accurate right now. In some ways it's worse, some places it's better, depending on the school district, right? And the teachers. But either way, 
the numbers aren't anywhere where they were in the 50s for many, many people, right? When it comes to crime, when it comes to, you know, being concerned that you'll be killed, you know, uh, school shootings in, in, in schools. My dad said he used to bring his gun to school, bring his rifle to school because he'd go hunt after school. A lot of his friends said they bring their, there was no even thought about killing each other. It wasn't something that happened. If it did, it was, if you give me an incident, it's going to be like an outlier, right? <sighs> wow. We have 6% of the world's population thereabout, right? But over 70% to 80% of the divorces. Something's wrong, guys. Something's wrong, you know? A study at Texas A&M Texas University said, uh, has a person committing murder can expect to spend 1.8 years in prison, okay? A rape, 60 days. Robbery, bringing an average prison time of about 23 days. A person convicted of arson can expect 6.7 days. Aggravated assault averages 6.4 days. And a person stealing a car can reasonably expect to spend a day and a half in jail on average, Okay? This isn't this year's study either. But I don't think that things have changed much, right? With COVID-19, some of those numbers probably got even worse, right? So you have all kinds of people being let out of prison and many of these guys committing crimes again right away when they get out. You have, you know, old folks with COVID-19 in New York and other states being shoved in nursing homes, giving a death sentence to many, many people. But you have prisoners that have committed horrible crimes being set free to hurt other people that should not be hurt because of that. Okay? And I'm not saying these things are easy, okay? Because I try to be careful not to play Monday morning quarterback after the game and say, this is what you should have done, as though I would have done it before the game or during the game. Because we didn't know a lot of the facts, even with COVID-19, amen? We didn't know a lot of the uh, concerns that were out there. So I think it's important uh, as far as, you know, a lot of the models were off and everything else, right? But unfortunately, there's a lot of agendas that go with these models. And there's a lot of reading in and ignorance and so forth. And, uh, and there's people on both sides of the aisle. I've seen, I've seen video clips with 10 liberal mainstream news people talking about this is, this is no big deal, it's okay, it's gonna be going away, don't worry about it. You know, Nancy Pelosi over in Chinatown, say, come to Chinatown, everything's safe, coming down on Trump because he, you know, stopped people from coming to China because he didn't want the spread of the disease, although they're trying to condemn him, even though they would've kept it open, it would've been worse in a lot of ways, right? But then guess what? If you just watch conservative television, you don't realize a lot of these conservatives, you'll see the same kind of clips with, by liberals showing a bunch of conservatives saying, oh, everything's fine, it's not that big of a deal, then all of a sudden, oh, what happened? What I'm saying, guys, is be careful don't get in too much into the whole political thing as far as, you know, putting your feet down and saying, this is what I am. And, 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 you know, make it all about, you know, being a partisan where it's just all about politics. You have to put God first because you could be a Republican and go to hell. You'd be a Democrat and go to hell. Okay. To be saved, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And how, you know, there's millions of Americans think because they're conservative Americans and they grew up in a family that where there are Christian uh, principles that were taught that they're going to heaven, but they haven't been born again. How many people are going to church that have not been born again? Amen. Now, I, I believe that when you are born again and you open the word of God, you're going to see, you know what? It's wrong to be 
liberal-minded toward crime and think it's okay, you know, or just slap it on the hand. Or, but you're also going to be a person of mercy, too. And when there's repentance, you know, how are we with our kids? Yeah, there's consequences, but there's mercy when there's repentance. So it's hard to balance all these things out. But as Christians, we need to be people that are about justice, amen, and care for the poor and have mercy and care for those who are, uh, uh, what I'm saying is that sometimes you can simplify something where you always think the answer, this is always a perfect answer. Sometimes things are nuanced too, just like dealing with this disease. So we have to have some humility and say, you know what? This thing's invisible. We don't know all about it, okay? And we know people are evil, so we know people are going to use it with bad motivations too, because that's just what the scripture's saying. We know where the world's headed because of the spirit of Antichrist, the prince of power of the air. But you need to step back and you need to say, wait, I can't get my focus, I can't lose my focus on putting the Lord first, amen? Preaching the gospel, amen? Passing the test I'm in, because we're all being tested, and becoming like Jesus, amen? Because if, if you lost your focus on becoming more like Christ and allowing God to do in you what he's, plan on doing you through the gospel, amen, and shining the light of the gospel because people are perishing, and you make it all about politics, you're going to lose your mind eventually, by the way. You're going to get frustrated because the answers are not political. Cursed is the one who puts his trust in men. The answers are always from the Lord, amen? I'm not saying you don't vote. Definitely, if you can vote, vote. That's the kind of government we're in. We're, we're a representative government, right? We're a republic, so you need to make your uh, voice a democratic republic, so you need to make your voice known. But don't ultimately put your trust in government because we know that no nation, no secular worldly nation is going to endure. That a nation has to fear God. And just what I read in Jeremiah chapter 18. Very, 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 very important for us to understand. And I, it's very, very serious too. That, and then I'm going to get back to what I think a key reason is as to why people are, why our country is so messed up. Okay, largely, largely because at the top leadership is because we're putting things before the Lord. It's obvious. For many people, it's mammon. Many conservatives put mammon before God. You can't serve both God and mammon. You know, I'm a capitalist. I hate socialism. It's evil. Yeah, well, look at what happens in a, the USSR. Russia used to be called the USSR right? Socialists was in the title of Russia. China, communist, right? Together, those two nations killed over 100 million people, roughly. I've looked at that. Even some conservative stats say that. So yeah, I, 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 socialism, you get these dictatorships, but guess what? Be careful, because if your capitalism is like, just gives you freedom to just money, 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 and it's all about money. We're about Jesus, Amen. And I praise God, biblically, God wants us, I believe, as people to be free to earn money, okay? It doesn't call us toward world socialism and globalism. That's where this is headed under the Antichrist, eventually, okay? It'll still be a capitalistic system, though, monetarily. Just read Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is a very capitalistic type system. It's kind of interesting how that works out. But as far as dictating people's lives, it'll be a dictatorship ultimately under the Antichrist, but before that time comes, we have to make sure that, and this is what I'm concerned about. Sometimes a lot of people think they're Christians because they're conservative. That does not equate. You have to remember Jesus. And you can leave your first love. 
And you have to have a true memorial of who gave his life for you on the ultimate memorial day. Jesus said, I have, he talked to some very conservative Christians. You test those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. He commends them that. You realize they're liars. That's good. He commends them for that. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He commends the church at Ephesus. But I have this against you because you have left your first love. Why? They forgot who they'd fallen from. How do I know that? Because he says, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. If you've turned from your first love, you're getting caught up in everything that's going on, you're getting all, you know, just politically minded, but you're missing Jesus, you're off, you know? It's about winning souls, amen? It's about honoring our God. It's about seeing the big picture. It's about knowing that we're gonna glorify him or we need to glorify him forever. But guess what? The leaders, not just in government, leaders in the churches have gotten away from the Lord. Guess what happened to the priest in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, listen to what he says in Proverbs 31. He gives this warning. Proverbs 31, he warns that it's not for king, okay? Or it is warned, I should say. It's not for kings to drink wine. He warns against drunkenness, or the, God does in Proverbs 31. Or for rulers to desire strong drink. He's talking about the rulers desiring strong drink in this context. That's what he's talking about. For they will drink and forget what is decreed. They'll forget the word of God. Those who are getting drunk. And pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And believe me, I believe on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, there's people that forget those who are afflicted because they're partying. They're living for themselves. They're answering the special interest groups to keep their lifestyle up. And listen to what Proverbs 28 says, verse one. Woe to the, uh, huh. uh, the, the, he talked about the pride of Ephraim's drunkards. Woe to them, to the fading flower, his glory, his beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, to the city and pride of those who are laid low by wine. The wreath, he says, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards will be trampled underfoot. And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer, okay? He says, priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when they see visions. They stumble when they render decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit and there is no spot without filth. So these are the prophets. These are the priests who are supposed to be hearing from God and are supposed to be applying his law to the people justly and caring for the afflicted. And guess what? They're busy getting drunk. And just like it says in Proverbs, they'll forget what was decreed. They'll pervert justice. And that's happening all over the place. A Washington Post article says that uh, where the biggest beer, wine, and liquor drinkers live in the U.S., where are they? We're the biggest liquor drinkers in the U.S., Washington, D.C. However, is the definitive wine capital of the U.S. No state or district drinks more wine per capita than the country's capital, and it's not particularly close either. It's not my words, that's theirs. Residents of Washington, D.C. drink more than half a glass of wine per day on average, or roughly 25% more than any other state. And when you consider the Christians and others who aren't getting drunk and not drinking much wine at all, right? That means a lot of other people are drinking a whole lot of it, amen? So, I look at the scriptures that talk about woe to the leaders who are getting drunk. 
because they can't legislate properly, they can't execute legislation properly, and then I look at the capital of our country, being where there's probably more drunkards than any place in the country for the most part, and I say, no wonder you have the White House lit up and like a rainbow, right? No wonder 60 million babies have been killed in our country. And the Bible talks about how the blood of the innocents cries out against the nation. There's blood crying out against this nation, guys. And it should break our hearts. Come on, where's our pulse? These are innocent babies being killed. And I know we know this, but you know what? In Nazi Germany, if the Holocaust had gone on for more than so many years because Hitler was able to just reign and reign and reign and reign, they could get used to Jews dying. And some did really quickly, by the way. We should never get used to innocent people dying, amen? Innocent babies being butchered in the womb. I'm saying we have fallen. Remember, I started with President Lincoln and so forth. And I started with even before our country was started, you know, as why education was to educate people spiritually. The Bible warns about those in the last days who are lovers of themselves. It's all about themselves and they're ever learning but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. And, I war- and they warned that let's not let Satan creep in and get us from the word of God. Then we heard from President Abraham Lincoln a few different times warning, don't forget God. And then we've seen that our nation has largely forgot God. Praise God. There's some good stands that are taken in this, pre- in this present administration. It's a mixture. Praise God, there's a lot of statements against abortion. Amen? That's a good thing, and praise God for that. However, there's also uh, same-sex marriage considered acceptable. Those are concerns, guys. So I'm saying don't think the answers are in government. The answers are in Jesus. Amen? Don't expect the government to be the church. Amen? You be the church. Amen? We got, the, we got, we got the gospel to preach, and we need to share it with others, and we need to make sure that we are doing exactly what the Lord has called us to do. Amen? You know, there's a promise given to Israel that applies to us, not in the same way it applied to Israel. Some quote this promise, they act like we're Israel. We're not Israel, okay? Israel's a unique nation, and Romans chapter 11, it says that all Israel will be saved when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That's that remnant that responds to him, cries out. Jesus said, when you cry out, whoever, or blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Then that nation will be saved in a day. If my people who are called by my name, he gives this promise to Israel, okay? He, he says to them that if they humble themselves before him, right? And they turn from their wickedness, he'll heal their land right? If we cry out to him and we humble ourselves. And the word humble literally means to bend the knee. To bend the knee. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. But it also says they must also, quote, turn from their wicked ways. How does this apply? Jeremiah chapter 18 says to Jeremiah, God shows Jeremiah with the potter that this is how I'm going to deal with Israel. But he says, I'm also going to deal this way with the nations. If they repent, I'll relent from the judgment that's coming upon them. If they turn wicked, I'll judge them. We live in a nation that has become wicked to the point where we're shedding innocent blood by the millions. I think about every 25 seconds or so, a baby gets killed, innocent, and a baby gets killed in our country with no recourse, and it's acceptable. It'd be one thing if you could stop it from happening, or you, you, know, you couldn't like, say this is wrong and, and take a stand, you know? but our country just lets it happen. You know? 
I'm not saying to do wickedness. I'm saying to pray. Let your voice be heard. Amen? To speak prophetically to the state that this is evil, this is wrong, and judgment is coming. Amen? So, Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such who have a contrite spirit. Brothers and sisters, you want to make sure your heart is broken over sin. I read a passage earlier in this message where they didn't care about sin in Zion. They had ease at Zion. It was no big deal to them. I can show you in Ezekiel where God says, go around. And there's like a, this like death type angel, you know, with a sick, you know, with sickle. It's like, well, I'm sorry, a, a judgment. A, 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 woo, it's a pretty radical weapon. He's supposed to go kill everybody who doesn't mourn for the sin that's happened in Israel. Wow. Or Judah. Wow. And God said he put a tav on the heads of those who were to be spared. By the way, how that, how, guys remember how that was written back in those days? That letter of the tav, it was written as a cross. Anyone with a cross was spared on their head. Like the, the, the death angel who went over the Passover, the blood that was put in the lintel and the doorpost, the form of a cross, they passed over it. It's first and foremost, you need to remember Jesus and what he did for you and how he died on the cross to pay for your sins, amen? And as you put your trust in him and you remember him and what he did for you and you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior and you're in love with him, he's your first love. I have this against thee. He says to the church, remember at Leo, at, uh, uh, the church at Ephesus, he goes, I have this against you. Even though they dotted their spiritual eyes and their theological T's correctly, You've tested those who say they're apostles or not and found them liars. That's good, he says, but guess what? I have this against you. Thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. I'm sorry. I quote, I memorized about half, almost half the book of Revelation in King James. Thou hast left thy first love. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. We need to remember Jesus, amen, in our relationship with him. Because this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, amen? That's eternal life, guys, that we know Jesus, that we have a relationship with him, amen? That's eternal life. And guess what? On this Memorial Day, be thankful for those who gave their lives to keep this country free, amen? But most of all, and those who served and gave their time to keep you free. But ultimately, be thankful to Lord Jesus Christ who bore your sin on the cross and died for each and every one of us. In this Memorial Day, I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the memorial, guys. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We need to make sure that we partake of the bread and the cup and remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. 